Brexit. It's a word we've all become familiar with since the UK voted to leave the European Union on June the 23rd, 2016. The move saw the pound plunge in value and property prices cool as buyers struggled to digest how the UK's exit from the EU would affect the real estate market. Following the Conservative win in the UK's December election, however, central London buyers no longer appear phased by the Brexit dip. Sales increased by 34% in the last quarter of 2019, compared to the same period the previous year. So with optimism in the market once again, what's the best way for UAE investors to buy in the UK? And what do they need to know about securing a mortgage, finding the best areas to invest, and tax? I'm Alice Hayne, the personal finance editor of The National, and joining me is Emma Tracy, The National's deputy creative director. Later, we'll be joined by Chris Battle, the founder of the Property Hub Meetup, Dubai, who owns 10 buy-to-let properties in the UK, as well as land in Ireland and a property in Dubai. And we'll hear from a resident who has built a successful buy-to-let portfolio while living and working in the UAE. So Emma, have you invested in UK property? I wouldn't call it an investment. I just wanted to get on the property ladder. That's how I look at it. This is my home for life. I'm going to keep this until I die. That's how I'm looking at it. And where did you invest? Where did you buy? In Liverpool, where my family are living. So that's a a kind of strategic investment because you want to go home and live there at some point? Eventually, yes. That's, That's the plan. And how did you find the property? What was your method for finding the right place? It's actually, it's not the best way. So I was at work. um, It was a slow shift and I had a bit of time on my hands. So I, out of curiosity, I just had a look at properties. I was just looking, no intention of buying um, and came across a property that I just absolutely fell in love with. So I showed it to my colleague and said, look at this. And he was like, that's amazing. You should buy it. And I said, yeah, right, you know, I, you can't buy here. Um, I'd been researching previously in 2016. At the time, I spoke to a mortgage advisor at HSBC and he told me that you had to earn a certain figure, but I didn't have enough deposit saved because okay. I'd been clearing debt up to that point. So you often need about 25% as an expat, don't you? Yes, Now, it must have been in 2017, I'd saved a pot based on this information I was given and the laws had changed. So you had to be earning a lot more like mega bucks in order to qualify. And also there was a minimum price on the mortgage that you could get. So you wrote it off. So when did you change your mind? Obviously, you saw this wonderful property. And first of all, I just want to know, what did you fall in love with? What type of property is it? Okay, it's um, a 1930s semi-detached. Fell in love with it. Had all the original features, the fireplaces, stained glass windows. Beautiful. It was more of an emotional It was, it was. And at that stage, I just saw it and I I showed my boss and um, he said, oh, you should buy it. And I said, oh, you can't. That's when he mentioned a colleague had recently bought a house um, and he linked me up to him and gave me the name of an agent and I contacted him. And then, yeah, it just snowballed. Within three months, I had the house. So when did you actually buy it? When did you, when did you become the owner? Uh, 18th of January last year. And how did that feel? Oh, it was amazing. Absolutely. I never, ever... Due to just circumstances, um, I never 
thought I would own a property. Um, from university, I lived in London for many years, and you just can't, as a if you're single, especially. I think it's very difficult to save that deposit and get on the ladder. And did you take out a buy-to-let mortgage, or now this is maybe a bit interesting? So it's buy-to-live. Okay. Um, which is where I know you're going to tell me I'm being very silly. Not necessarily. Um, so. I'm not officially allowed to rent it out. So I'm now paying for a house that's sat empty. It's like oh, okay. a storage unit for me at the moment. Why did you go for that route? Why did you go for buy to live? To be honest, I was considering leaving um, and then my circumstances changed again. So I ended up staying. Yeah. Um, so essentially, at the moment, it's, it's empty uh, and you can stay in it when you go home, but it, you're not making an income from it. No, I'm not. And I, in hindsight, I wish I did rent it out. But actually, I've ploughed a lot of money over the last year into the house. Um, I've been renovating certain things. Uh, there was a few things that needed doing that I wasn't aware of. I also should mention I bought this house without seeing it, which wow, is that's brave. crazy. Uh, my family looked on my behalf um, and it was highly sought. Well, so the estate agent says, in hindsight, I probably overpaid. I mean, I, I did say wow to you about buying a house unseen. I've done a similar thing, but I did send my husband over and it, that was a risky move on my part. But I sent him over and, and he looked uh, and he bought a property and he, did, he actually did very, very well. And I've also bought an off-plan property before and that's quite nerve-wracking because the thing hasn't even been built. Of course. Um, so let's talk to Chris Battle now, who's the founder of the Property Hub Meetup Dubai, and he can tell us a little bit more about whether or not that was a great decision or not. Have you ever bought a property without seeing it, Chris? I have. Uh, to be fair, I bought a couple um, where I actually got the estate agent to go and take a video, which is a little bit risky because the estate agent's not going to show you the big damp patch in the corner of the room. But even so, um, it's worked out okay for me. And I also have bought properties off plan. And, you know, with Brexit, we we talk about that endlessly at the National and the effects of Brexit. And that was in the run up to Brexit and then after Brexit. The property market did take a bit of a hit, um, but there does seem to be a bit more optimism now. Do you think now is a good time to get involved in the UK market? Uh, actually, I would have said it would have been better during the disruption time, you know, because obviously the uh, the unknown uh, created a lot of opportunities. Uh, I didn't vote for Brexit. Um, my opinion is that I don't think there'll be significant changes. If you were to look back in 20 years' time, you look back, I don't think you see significant changes for the risks, etc. So we're going to have three or four years maybe of disruption. But that's what makes it a good time to buy. So going forward now, I mean, you've got 10 properties in the UK. What what would you say to a novice investor, to Emma and to others listening? I, I do think it's a good time to buy. The concern might be with Brexit is that you might not have as many people living in Britain if immigration changes or that the economy falls. But even if the economy falls, we're still the seventh biggest economy in the world. Um, we will require immigration still. We, that, that is going to have to happen for the economy. We need 50,000 bricklayers in the construction industry in the UK. You, unless you get 50,000 people to go to night school to become bricklayers, they're going to have to come from outside. So there still will be demand. Um, what I would suggest, and it's, it doesn't matter what part of the cycle, really, uh, you really have to do your checks on... Um, it, it was slightly different from Emma because you was going to live in the property. But if that was a property that you was using as an investment, you really need to know what sort of yield you can get. Um, you can offset your, your mortgage interests and what have you, how, how it's going to affect you in tax purposes, etc. Um, 
It, it, actually, for Emma, that you can approach your bank and ask them if they'll give you permission to, re- to let it. I, I don't know if you considered that. Funnily enough, after the, the whole process went through, they called me and they did say, if you have changed your mind and you want to rent it out, we can do that for you. And at the time, I, I'd already started renovating and I said no, but thank you. Yeah. Now I regret it in hindsight. Um because I do realise what I should have done is rented it out as it was. It was a perfectly good house. Um, and then pocketed the money and done it when I got back. Yeah, that, there's so. actually another reason why that's a good good way of doing it. If you buy a property and then you spend money on renovating it, that's regarded as a capital expenditure. Whereas if you rent it out for a period and then you do it up, then you can offset that against your yearly income as a as a tax break. So no, you, you will having done it up, when you come to sell, you've not lost out on it because when you come to sell you can include those costs in your when you calculate your capital gains tax. Right. But it's just obviously capital gains tax if you you, you plan to die in it. I know that's not exactly how you put it, but um it sounds a lot more morbid. I, than you I said plan it. on yeah. keeping it for the long term. Yeah. That, so, yeah. So the capital gains tax element of it in twenty years time is obviously not as significant as if you could write it off against your income tax this year. So that's something to consider as well. So we can come on to tax in a minute. But first of all, Chris, if you are going to buy, what's the best way to secure a mortgage for somebody based here? Ideally, you should speak to a a mortgage broker that specialises in expat mortgages. And if possible, find someone that actually invests in property as an investment themselves. Then they have have a lot more experience of what you're actually going through. There are several uh, brokers. You can approach banks directly. But as in the case, like you came across, HSBC were telling you about their products. That was initially. I did go through a yeah. broker in the end. Um, but but uh, for example, when when you said the the rules changed for the mortgage, yes. I suspect that was within the bank, not possibly not within yes. the country. Yes, there were there were changes around that time, but that wouldn't have stopped you getting a mortgage. Right. Okay. Um, so definitely a, a good broker. Recommendations are always the best, in my opinion, because if you if you've got a friend who had su- success with a particular person. That's exactly what happened, so I feel better about that. Thank you. (laughs) So a broker, and there are brokers here. There's some here in the UAE, and there's also, I mean, the brokers that I've used are based in in the UK, actually, and they're a a specialist expat brokerage. And there are actually banks here as well that lend for buying in the UK as well. Actually, um, my bank, I bank with Rackbank, um, and I believe they've got a mortgage for investment in the UK. The problem, though, is that the mortgage loan is in dirhams. So there's always that exchange rate risk. What's your opinion on interest-only mortgages or capital repayment? Um, Ideally, if you're going to live in the property, you should look at capital repayment. Um, But that's mainly so that you know there's a way of paying off the mortgage at the end of the term. However, as an investment, you're not living in the property. You You should consider how you're going to pay it off. But the benefits are that the inflation actually erodes the amount of money you've got to pay back. So if you borrowed 100000 today and paid it back in 25 years' time, after inflation, it's probably only going to be the equivalent of £70,000 a day. So that works in your favour. Also, the thing about capital repayment is a thing called amortisation of the debt, which is basically they calculate how much you're going to pay per month. In the first eight or nine years, the bulk of that payment is actually interest anyway. So you're not actually benefiting from repaying in the first maybe 10 years. Um, and obviously the cash flow is much better because and if you take that cash flow, the additional cash flow, and you invested it, you're probably going to earn enough money to pay off the mortgage over 25 years anyway. So the general rule of thumb is if you're living in it, get pay capital. That's, that's and, what and, I would suggest. And, yeah, yeah, if you're investing only. 
even if you're investing, you should have an idea of how you're going to pay off the debt because sooner or later you do have to pay that 100000 back. But that could be because you decide to sell it in 20 years and you've got the time to pay off the mortgage in 25 years. I disagree, though. I, I've gone down the repayment route, and that's just purely a personal thing. I like to see the money accruing. I like to yeah. see the fact that I own more of that property every month, every year. Um, it, it's a personal preference, but it just it kind of increases that sense of financial security. You have to be able to sleep at night. If it makes you easier knowing that you're paying it off, that's the best thing. And what about picking the right area? I mean, everyone talks about London. So how do people pick the right place to invest? I would suggest that the most important thing is to make sure you've got a, set, a good enough yield because don't forget that you don't want to be you don't want to be financing this project, this this property business that you're buying. You don't want to be financing that. That should be paying you money. Hmm. So the, the, the yield is very important. That's the rental income. Um, and that has to be more than your mortgage costs and also any it's outgoings and ma- yeah, maintenance. It's, and it's actually stress tested now. So if it's got to be, um, shall I tell you the, the yeah. formula? Okay, they might fall asleep. <laughs> um, there's two formulas. The, the first one is for each individual property. It has to be 125% of the mortgage that you would pay on a 5.45% mortgage interest rate. So your rent has to be that. Uh, if you have more than four four or more mortgages, then you have to, as a package, they have to be 145% of the total amount. So this is a good thing. Um, this means that there's a, you should be able to make money. If you, ca- if you can pass that mortgage test, you should be able to get a net of about 3.5%, 4%. So it's about risk, isn't it? The, the, the lenders are assessing your risk and yeah. whether or not you're going to be able to repay that exactly. mortgage. As someone who, I, I mean, everything you've just said is over... My, I, I just, I can't Sorry. take it in. I just can't. It's just not me. It's not my strength. Um, I would actually love to have a portfolio. It's something mm. I've always imagined when I was younger. Um, the real, reality of that hasn't happened. Um, but what advice would you give to someone who is petrified about the whole tax and tax returns mm. in my situation who might want to get a second property, but the whole tax situation puts me off? Okay, uh, we can talk about the tax separately, but I would suggest there's uh, there's several things you can do. The more you know, the less scared you are. And uh, there's the Property Podcast, which is a UK-based podcast. That's actually the meetup that I run is from, devolved from that. They've four or five hundred episodes, very good information. Um, If you listen to those... Okay. On the on the journey to work in the morning, you you you'll certainly so feel, educate yourself, educate yourself, yeah. and and it's yeah. free education. You can you can pay as much as you want and go to all these courses. Generally speaking, you won't get any value out of them if there's this free education available first. Also, I would suggest anyone that's going to jo- become a landlord, I would strongly suggest you become a member of the National Landlords Association. Um, they have online courses. Uh, you can pay an amount and go and do a day course, and then you become an accredited landlord. If you do the online courses, they're free as part of your membership. Is this a UK-based? This is a UK-based. Okay. Um, they're actually joining forces with the residential landlords, so they're going to be called something like the National Residential Landlords. Or something. Right. But, uh, and that's an excellent uh, resource. They also have a free helpline as well, so anytime you have a problem, you can phone them up and get expert advice. And when it comes to managing a property, do you prefer to manage it yourself or do you use an agent? To be honest, I use an agent because I just find it easier mm. to, you know, I'm a long way away. I let them take all the responsibility and they just sort it all out. Is Absolutely. that something that you do as well? Uh, originally, I started when I had a smaller portfolio. I used to manage it all from here and it was no problem. The only problem was that if you have to find tenants, I'm not going to fly back to England and show someone around the property and then fly back to work on, on Sunday morning. Um, so I was I was actually paying the finder's fee. 
And when you talk to these agents, a lot of them will do a deal where they don't actually charge you much more for the full management service. So I've actually got full management on all my properties. Um, having said that, it's easy enough to manage. And when there's a problem, I've ended up speaking to the tenants or the agent as much as I would have done if I was managing it myself anyway. What I would say, though, I feel confident that if I if I wanted to manage, I could do. But the the, re the good thing is that because I know what I should be looking for, I keep an eye on the agents. So it's two of us keeping an eye on it. Um, and that's because of these courses that I was telling you about with the, the National Landlord Association. I have to say that's another reason, just going back to why I didn't rent this property out. I'm just petrified. I've heard horror stories and I'm petrified of, because it was so nice, the house, I'm petrified of it getting wrecked by hideous tenants. I've never had a hideous tenant. The worst I've had is someone brought in a gerbil without permission. <laughs> Um, there's several ways of finding the right property agent. Recommendations is a, is a good way of doing it. Um, it's a little bit cheeky, but you could, if, you, if you're buying as a couple, one of you could phone up as a landlord and then five minutes later, your wife or husband phone up as a tenant and get an idea of how they treat the two of you. On the one hand, oh yeah, we can rent your property out within two days and you'll get £500 a week for it. whatever. And if the tenant phones up, yeah, I can get you something for 350 no problem. And it's the same property. Then you, you get an idea of what sort of people they are. Um, generally speaking, there's so many online resources where people are talking about their agents uh, and giving reviews and you can read those as well what we've done in the past is when we've bought a property we've mentioned to the agent that's selling that we're interested in maybe taking them on as a managing agent and we negotiate a price then um, give them a year if they're no good we find someone else how about if you wanted to invest in an area that you don't know much about how would how would you yeah absolutely about that? when you look at it from this country um, obviously people naturally like to invest in areas they know well um, but if you've been out here for 10 years, that that area has probably of changed course, substantially. So if you think about it, there's not actually anywhere local in the UK if you live in Dubai or mm. Abu Dhabi. Ideally, uh, if you had the time, you should go and have a look around the area just to see what the coffee shops, etc. are like. But there's so much, again, you can do from online. Right move, super, gives you a very good idea of the market. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons you should go and have a look at the property is to make sure there's not a sewage plant or something like that next door to you. But you can do that with um, Street View and, and things like this. Uh, again, there's Facebook groups of areas. Uh, we've got a property in Hornsey. There's a very big Facebook group for that building development. So five or ten minutes on that, you know what the problems are in that area. So what would what would be your secret ingredient? So you see an area, like what does it need to make it a great place for an investment One, property? What I look for is the how much return I can expect, uh, um, how popular it is, um, how quickly it can rent out. Because the, the biggest problem you're going to have is voids. I, I understand your position about you don't want someone who's going to come in and wreck your property. That's very unlikely to happen, but it is likely that you will have a void. And if you lose a month's rate of rent, that's a, that's a big chunk out of your profit. Um, so I would tend to look at somewhere like Zoopla. You can go onto the local area stats uh, and you can look at them by postcode and they will tell you what the average price on Zoopla. And underneath that, they also tell you the average rent. So that's how you can work out if you're going to actually make the investment. This is just an average, and this is what I would do to decide on a particular postcode in a certain area. But it gives you an idea of your return, and then you can start looking deeper. So what about tax? I mean, there's stamp duty, there's capital gains mm. tax. How do people factor those things in? Well, certainly you have to consider them at the time when you're, you're making your decision. Stamp duty at the moment... You have to pay, if it's a second property in the UK or anywhere in the world, actually, if it's a second property, you have to pay an extra 3% on the stamp duty that would uh, 
that an owner-occupier would pay. Uh, there is a discussion about expats or people living abroad paying an extra 3% on top of that, but it's not actually coming to play at the moment. Stamp duty is a cost of business. Uh, you have to consider it. and But again, it's, it's deductible from your capital gains at the end when you sell the property. Uh, income tax, there's a lot of worry about the income tax changes. And to be blunt, it shouldn't really affect you if you're British or European passport holder. Uh, it will only affect you if you're an, a higher rate taxpayer. Uh, if you are currently, a lot of people think that you should buy in a company. But if you do, you're going to pay corporation tax. Uh, from the very first penny that you make profit, whereas a person can borrow, can earn £12,500 without paying any tax. So uh, just assuming that you have one or two properties, I doubt that you're going to get to the stage where you're going to pay more than any tax at all because you'll be under the threshold. As a company, you don't get capital gains tax allowance, but as a person investing individually, I believe it's 12000 every year. Um, and you can offset if you have a loss as well, so you, you get that opportunity. Hopefully you don't have that, but it's a possibility. But as an expat owner, um, having just sold a property, I am actually not liable for any capital gains tax because they, up until 2015, um, expats weren't liable for capital gains. And the gain since 2015 is is, is minimal because of Brexit. Yeah. Uh, so as a result, I have no capital gains yes, tax to pay. Yeah. They changed the rules in 2015. We actually had the properties that we had at 2015, we had them valued then so that when it comes to um, resolving our capital gains allowance or obligations, um, we, we'd be able to use, use a valuation from the time. So that's true. But if but you that, own that several... Probably won't, okay, uh, yeah. sorry, that probably won't be the case for Emma, though. Well, no, Emma's ha- property is her main residence, so she probably won't yeah. have to pay any capital gains tax at all. But if you own several properties and you, and you sell them, then, yes, you are liable. Yes, absolutely. And if you can, sell them one per year rather than all of them in one go because then you maximise your capital gains allowance, which is 12000 a year. And don't forget, we, we buy them as a couple, me and my wife. So that's 24000 a year. Which brings me on to our question from a listener. So this is from PR in Dubai. I am British and have lived in the UAE for five years. I want to invest in the UK, but I'm concerned about how to secure a mortgage from the UAE. I have a deposit of £50,000 and I'm now looking to buy an investment property possibly off plan from a developer. What's the best way to get a mortgage? And should I use what the developer suggests or contact my local bank here? So from what I understand from that, PR wants to buy an investment property, is considering off plan and wants to know if to use the developer's suggested mortgage provider. I would recommend talking to a broker because the broker is going to have a lot more options. Um, there's no reason why not talking to the, uh, the, the developer's bank but there's no reason just to go to one person. That might not be the best option for you. If you go to a broker, they should have several options that you can you can go with. And what I found with brokers as well is that some of them have sort of deals that they've set up directly. So mm. they might have a better offer than if you've approached a bank individually. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you can't approach a bank individually because of previous uh, mortgage mis-selling uh, scandals. So they've outsourced that to, a lot of them have outsourced that to brokers. Um so that the broker is responsible for doing the know your customer, etc. And what do you think about the whole off-plan option? I have bought off-plan. I'll be honest with you, I, it's okay, but I, I wouldn't do it again. Uh, and I'd, why I'd not? Rather, there's a couple of problems. Um, I've got two properties that are off-plan. One of them I wasn't aware that was actually going to be sold, going to be completed in phases. Mine was in the first phase, and it was one building. So the, the second and third phases were upper floors. I couldn't rent my property out while the construction was going on still. Mm-hmm. Um, also, with the another property, um, it's, it's a lovely property and it's doing very well. 
but the developers held on to a lot of the pro- apartments in that development and every year or so they sell a couple more so they're keeping the the price at the fixed rate that they sold all of the properties at so i'm not getting any capital growth i bought it for 250,000 uh, they keep selling properties at 250,000 if i was to put my property on the market tomorrow i wouldn't get more than 250,000 i mean i've bought one and and the the positive i would say is that it's brand new. So you can mm. go in and go around and you can get everything fixed. And there's, yeah. I don't have to worry about boilers breaking down and things like that. Mm. Um, but as you said, my I think mine was one of the first to be released. And and then there's that panic to get it rented out quickly because mm. you know that there's an entire block is going to Absolutely. be ready in the next month and they're all going to be renting it out. I did successfully rent it out within three weeks. And, and so far it's, it's been absolutely fine. But... Yes, it wasn't as smooth as I thought it was. And also securing the mortgage was much more complicated yes, than I thought. Because uh, the the lender that I used just took a long time. And then there was a lot of back and forth between mm. the developer and, and the lender. And that went on far longer than I was happy with. Yeah. I think if you can, if you're looking for an investment property and you don't mind doing it, uh, you should consider buying something where there's a tenant in situ. Then you have a very good idea of what they've got what they're paying for you can ask for a copy of the uh, the tenancy contract and you can make sure that everything's in good condition and then you know exactly what money you're going to make from it you earn money from the day you own the property so have you ever had any nightmare tenant stories then only the person with the gerbil <laughs> <laughs> and we got over that <laughs> well thank you very much for joining us today chris thank you very much If you want to talk to us about any personal finance related issues or have a great success story to share, please get in touch at pf.thenational.ae. And remember, PF stands for personal finance. We're now going to hear from Jazz Sanger, an investor turned developer who is also a director at Mackenzie Jones Middle East. He owns two properties in Dubai and five in the UK, where he's also developing a further 85 units. So, Jazz, you've taken it up a whole other level because you are a property investor turned developer. That's right. And how how did that happen? (laughs) It was very, uh, uh, well, it took a bit of time and I just realised that after, you know, investing and realising that actually it's the same it was more, probably more of a mind shift change where I thought, well, actually, development is just bigger numbers, bigger rewards. Um, in the beginning, I was probably scared to, to go into development just because, you know, the numbers sound scary. But then I realized that actually, you know, once you get down to it and you understand the business, it's not as, as big as numbers as you originally think. So how did you start investing in property? So it was basically, I, I guess I was an accidental landlord. I uh, didn't know at the time. I just saved a deposit probably around 2008 um, and I was saving and I just bought a property. I, it wasn't an investment. It was something which I thought, you know, I want to live here in the in the long run. Um, shortly after the market crashed, so it wasn't great, but hey. So how do you go from that to buying more? Well, I, I slowly realized and it was, uh, I guess I started reading more and you know, searching over the internet and reading books and just about investments. And I realized that at the moment, you know, I was exchanging my time for money, um, meaning go to a job. So you're changing your time for money. And I realized that actually if I bought a property and I looked at what rent I was getting, I was thinking in the beginning, it was just like my salary was so low. I was thinking if I just have two properties, I don't have to ever work again. Um, So that's how it all started. So you went from one to two and then to five. 
Yep, I went. Uh, so it took a bit of time. The first one was the, the the kind of learning. I didn't I didn't really understand what I was doing at the time. I just bought it purely for myself. So I held it for two, three, four years. Um, after that, it was I realised that actually, if I pay this off, it's an extra thousand pounds a month. Um, so and I thought, well, actually, if I get two, three of these going, I don't have to ever work again. Um, so then I really scaled it up and started saving hard and uh, looked at creative strategies. I guess. So it was about creating an income. Exactly. In the beginning, for me, I, I I don't know what others are like, but for me, it was like I was getting married. I was twenty when I first bought my first house. I was probably twenty one, twenty two. Um, I got married at around twenty eight, and that's when I started taking it seriously. And, I, and for me, I just wanted to supplement an income for, you know, help raise my family. And in my back of my mind, I wanted to support my wife, and I think that was the driver. Okay, so from five properties, and now you have. 85 apartments under development that's quite a big jump so how, how do you go from five to an extra 85 well it was a it was a it, it, it sounds but it sounds scarier than what it was but it did start off slow so this is uh over three sites so the 85 units aren't just on one site um it started off with me just working with developers so i started talking to a lot of people it took about a couple of couple of years shall i say where I was just networking, talking to people and really understanding the business. And because and, prior to that, if someone said to me, oh, you know, it's 10 million pounds or this development's 10 million pounds, I would just wouldn't even consider it. It was, you know, thought of that's a really large number and I can't get close to it. So what I started doing, realized that actually what finance was available, I realized uh, my own personal network, there was a lot of wealth. And what I mean by that is a lot of people had savings which weren't making them money, me, me included. Uh, just money saved up from a corporate job and just being quite savvy with my money. When I learned some strategies, I realized that if we pull this together, um, we could we could purchase this property. So it was it was about turning to friends and family then and tapping into their savings? In the beginning, the first development I ever done, uh, yes. It was really turning to people I knew in my own network, so friends, family. Um, and just we used to just talk about it and say, well, actually, you know, and you know, everyone used to look at these developments and you know say, oh, they're, they're not for us because they're too big. Uh, when we realised, and I started educating myself and realising that actually the banks do quite, you know, they do do 100% development finance, um, and that was a game changer for me because I didn't realise in the time I was thinking, oh, you know, I can buy a property with 25% deposit, but then how do I spend the the X million or 100,000 to, to fit it out. And when I realized the bank can lend on it, depending if it's a good deal, and up to 100% finance, I thought that was a game changer. So where are the developments? Okay, so it's across three sites at the moment. So one's in Croydon, London. Um, the other one's in Plymouth. And the other one, the big one's in Bristol. So that's 52 units, I believe, in Bristol. What's the end goal then? End goal is to uh, go back to the UK. No, I run a business out in Dubai now, so eventually exit this and uh, just work on properties and just do a development a year and I wouldn't even go too much. Well, good luck with all of that. Thank you very much for talking to us, Jazz. Excellent, thank you. Thank you this week to Emma Tracy, Chris Battle and Jazz Sanger. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at the national.ae. Remember that pf stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.